Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood and welcome to Faith and Family Radio. Today we continue our family Bible studies in the Gospel of Luke. We are in chapter 24, one of my favorite chapters in the whole Gospel of Luke, one of the most important and in some ways the culmination of everything Luke was trying to teach. But what we're going to learn today in Luke 24 is the main point of all Scripture and the focus of catechesis. And this is going to be revealed on that journey down the Emmaus Road, those two disciples. I called them the clueless disciples. They were present during uh, Holy Week, during the crucifixion of Jesus. They were dejected, and Jesus joins them for a seven-mile walk down the Emmaus Road, and it's it's a life-changing walk. And the reason Luke 24 is so essential for any parent is that if you're a parent living in the 21st century, your main challenge is to instill lasting faith in the hearts and minds of your children. And by lasting faith, I'm talking about a faith that lasts well past the teen years into adulthood. You've heard me say probably 50 times that that is the chief challenge for parents in the 21st century, and I plan to keep on saying that because we need to recognize what challenges we would face as a parent. Stephen Covey, who is famous for his books on life priorities, uh, he had uh, life planning and business planning seminars, and he famously taught an essential principle for life success. He said this, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And if you've ever been to a Stephen Covey seminar, he'll have a a large jar, and on the side of the jar, he has some fairly large rocks and a whole bunch of pebbles. And you are asked to fit everything in the jar. Now, if you start putting the pebbles in first, which a lot of people are tempted to do, the big rocks will not fit in. But if you reverse it, you put the big rocks in first, then all the other little pebbles and smaller rocks seem to find their own place, and everything kind of matches for priorities and proportions. And that's an important lesson, because if you're teaching the faith to your children, let's just say all of the rocks, all of the small rocks, and all of the pebbles are all good things. But if you want success, you want to keep the main thing and the focus on the main thing, or else you're going to lose the strength you need in conveying the faith in the 21st century. Now, I just have a quick preface to today's episode, say something personal. Uh, Shortly after I converted to Catholicism, I decided to take it easy on making big pronouncements about Catholic things. Now, some of my convert friends uh, didn't make such a decision and started saying some rather enormous, uh, incredibly important things, and I felt that I needed at least a decade as a Catholic before I could even 
you know, form an opinion, a, a settled opinion on such things. But what I'm speaking about today, I've waited a quarter of a century to share. Okay, here it is. And remember, I'm your friend. I want you as a parent to have success. I want your parish to have great success. But many Catholic parents, parishes, and schools are not keeping the focus on the main thing. Last episode, I gave a hint about this. I didn't quite highlight it as much, but I gave you that quote from St. John Paul II, and I'm going to repeat it. Quote, the Word of God is the first source of Christian spirituality. It gives rise to a personal relationship with the living God and with his saving and sanctifying will. If St. John Paul II would permit me, I'll translate that into a Stephen Covey illustration. The Word of God is the big rock of forming Christian spirituality, and that gives rise to that personal relationship with Christ that a young person has to have. It's not an option. Might have been an option in previous generations. It's no longer an option. Has to have that strong personal relationship, and it comes from making the Word of God the big rock in forming Christian spirituality. And in many cases, this is simply not the case. And I'm talking about in otherwise excellent uh, Catholic schools and catechesis, and I'm not talking about uh, a catechetical textbook that cites a verse of Scripture and such. I'm talking about teaching young people to have direct contact with the Word of God, not reading about it in a book or not reading stories about what's in the Bible, but direct encounter with God with a direct encounter of Scripture. And if you don't have this, there will be lots of abstract uh, religious knowledge, the kind of thing, and I'm talking about like the two disciples accompanying Jesus down the Emmaus Road. These weren't Christian men at the time. They were Jewish because they didn't have the fullness of the faith at that time, but they did have knowledge of Jesus's ministry in all likelihood, and they were they were there during Holy Week, so they knew all the events and such. And here, Jesus, who they knew about, so to speak, before his crucifixion and resurrection, they didn't recognize him. Chapter 24 says their eyes weren't opened. Yeah, now they weren't blind. They could see literally, visually, but their spiritual perception was lacking. And this is the point. There is a strong tendency in all religious groups and I've been through many forms of Protestantism and been a Catholic for over a quarter of a century, and there's a tendency in all religious groups to overemphasize distinguishing doctrines and practices. Now, the reason is it's, it's a compensating behavior, psychologists would tell us, and this overemphasis is on good things. Let's say, uh, uh, I'm just going to use an example, just say Protestants don't believe in such and such doctrine or practice. 
Catholics know it's true, so they have a tendency not just to keep it in its proper place and proportion, but to overemphasize it and then allow some of the big rocks to be ignored because they want to kind of uh, take a higher proportion of good, very good, secondary things and end up making them primary things. And this is really hard to observe. It's almost like you have to get in a spaceship and look down on earth on the Catholic faith if you're a Catholic or Protestant faith if you're a Protestant and see these things. There's a strong tendency to do this. And it's taken me years, if not decades, to kind of come to this perception. So Jesus was about to open their eyes. And the first big rock we want to make sure we find a place for in our jar is found in Luke chapter 24 and verse 27, an incredibly important verse of the Bible, because this verse will tell us how to interpret the entire Bible, what the focus is of the entire Bible. And these two disciples, you know, a lot of people want to go to Paris and go up the Eiffel Tower. And, you know, I like to do that kind of, but but you know what I'd really, really like to do? I would love a seven-mile walk down the Emmaus Road with Jesus Christ opening the Scriptures. To me, this would be the probably one of the greatest experiences a person could have, okay? And here is the key to that walk. Luke 24, verse 27 and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that's another way of saying the entire Old Testament scriptures, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, how do we use the Bible? Well, is the Bible primarily about religious stories? That's how we use the Bible with kids very often? No, it is not. Not even the Old Testament. Is the Bible primarily about moral truths? Well, that's what we use the Bible for in catechesis, but that's not what the Bible is about, primarily, okay? Is the Bible primarily about religious heroes? We extract a person and just isolate and focus on that single person? No, that's not what the Bible is about. Is the Bible primarily about getting apologetics ammunition. No, that's what the not, not what the Bible is all about. That's good to have your apologetics ammunition. Is the Bible primarily about me, me getting saved, my needs? No, it's not primarily about you. The Bible is primarily about Jesus. He's the big rock that all of the scriptures focus on. Uh, just you know, pop one out. Uh, Joseph in the Old Testament um, left for dead by his brothers and ended up saving his brothers. Brothers didn't recognize him on the first visit. Brothers recognized him on the second visit. Joseph wasn't just about Joseph. Joseph can be interpreted and should be interpreted concerning Jesus because Joseph was prefiguring Jesus, the one handed over to the Romans by his brethren. They meant it for evil, but Jesus knew it meant it for good because they will recognize him simultaneous with the second coming. You see, all of the Bible fits together, and it focuses on Jesus. The Bible is about Jesus, and if we're not focusing 
Number one, using the scriptures directly with children and teaching the children to interact with them. And then not just having stories, but how the narrative of the scriptures and these Old Testament figures aren't just heroes, they're prefiguring Jesus because Jesus is the one we need to focus on. Just last Sunday, I was leaving Mass and I asked a friend, uh, what are you reading? And he said, uh, The Life of Christ by Archbishop Sheen. Well, my reply was, oh, you're focusing on that boring stuff like Jesus. And of course, we both had a good laugh because it's been my observation. You know what really sells? Something new, something novel, something surprising. And even in youth ministry, oh, you got to have this, you got to have that. And what changes lives is Jesus. What changes lives is a direct contact with Scripture, having a direct focus on Jesus, and that has the power to change a life. I'm just going to pick on one little rock, and it is a little rock that has become a gigantic rock, the theology of the body. Good stuff, teaching of John Paul II. But yet publishers are saying, this is the big rock. Just put it in the center. And youth workers and school teachers are putting, this is the big rock. No, it's not the big rock. The body and sexuality are important. They're rocks, but it's not the big rock. The big rock is Jesus himself. And I estimate that the majority of Catholic youth, probably Protestant too, But the majority of Catholic youth being taught the theology of the body don't fully understand the resurrection of the body. The resurrection of the body is a primary big rock Christian doctrine. It's part of the creeds, okay? A theology of the body begins with the theology of the resurrection of the body and begins with with what? Jesus. And that's why Luke 24 begins with Jesus' resurrection. And the, the disciples were kind of confused because they went back to Jesus' tomb and his grave clothes were there, but Jesus wasn't there. And they're trying to figure out, hey, what's going on now? Now, here's just, and this isn't a full question. This is just a preliminary question. But ask your children tonight during dinner, Let's just happen to say that, you know, um, and I hate to, you know, parents scare your kids, older kids, but if you happen to, to, to die and we had your funeral this past Saturday, okay, this upcoming Saturday, and if you're a girl, you wore your nice dress, we put you in your nice dress, or boy, we put you in your nice blazer or suit or whatever, and we put you in a coffin, buried you in the ground, okay? We wait and wait and wait. All right. Now it comes time for the resurrection of the dead. Jesus is going to raise the faithful to everlasting life. Okay? What does your casket look like? Well, it looks just like Jesus' tomb. But young people will think, well, I don't know. I mean, they, they think maybe a resuscitation, so you come out with your grave clothes on. No, that's not it. Your body becomes a resurrected body, and we learn this because of what happened with Jesus. Now, Jesus' uh, tomb just wasn't empty because we go in the next 
paragraph, and he's walking down the road with two disciples, and they can't even imagine that Jesus, who was buried, could be alive. This is what's happening with Christian youth. This is a central Christian belief, and if we focus on the life of Jesus, we're not going to miss this. But if we focus on other things, even the theology of the body, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing, it's a good thing, but it's a secondary thing, we'll miss the primary emphasis of this. And it's very important, not just what you teach, but the proportion of things and how you handle them and by your teaching style and content, what you're conveying to children. This is parents and catechists and deacons and priests and radio broadcasters and everybody in between. Now, Jesus, and this is so important, wasn't a spook. He wasn't a spook without a body. And ask your children, what will eternal life be like? Well, let's see. We'll be up there, wherever there is, and that's not true. I'm talking about for eternity, after the second coming, okay, what will life be like? We will not be up there. Read the last chapter of the Bible, focus on Jesus like the last chapter of the Bible does, and you'll know you'll not be up there. You'll be down here on a new earth, okay? And you will not be without a body, just like Jesus was not without a body as he walked down a Emmaus Road. Now, if these two guys were all depressed and dejected walking down the Emmaus Road and they saw a ghost, they would start screaming and run away from Jesus. He looked like a, a normal human being. In the end of John, he built a campfire and cooked fish. That is not your children's picture of eternal life. In other words, being alive after being dead for three days, you're placed in a tomb or a casket, and ask them, what's their view of what eternal life will be like through all eternity, up there without a body? And if we simply focus on Jesus, and the scriptures are pretty plain, this is the conclusion of the whole gospel, it's the resurrection of Jesus, and then Jesus opens their eyes. Now, here's a second reason why we need to focus on this. It's not only just wise to keep things in proportion, but it's necessary for power. And I'm probably going to say it now for the 51st time, but the chief challenge of parents in the 21st century is to have lasting faith, powerful faith. And let me give you an example of how it was done. This is from St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his first letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1. St. Paul says, I came to you, brethren, when I came to you, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God in lofty words or wisdom. In Greek, that word uh, translated wisdom is Sophia, like we have philosophy. It's the study of Sophia, wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. St. Paul said, I can't, came, and basically my evangelism was a big rock. If you want to have teenagers to live faithfully for Jesus through their young adulthood into their adult years and forming their families, you do like St. Paul did when he came to Corinth. He carries the big rock. I desire to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he said, my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and power. 
Paul, you know, he wasn't a fancy-looking guy. He wasn't a slick speaker like uh, people came through Greek cities and entertained orators, entertained people and all that, but he had power. And the reason he had power, because he focused on Jesus, and Jesus will back up the proclamation and focus on him in scriptures. He will open people's eyes. He will transform their lives if, as St. Paul goes on to say, your faith might not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. Okay? Um, You know, kind of a model for this, and I'm going to shock a lot of my Catholic listeners, but... Anne Graham Lotz, uh, the daughter of Billy Graham, and she was the one in, in the family of Billy Graham, says she's the best preacher in the family. She had a whole series of conferences and talks and a, a book with the title, Just Give Me Jesus. That is very similar to what St. Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I didn't know anything among you except Jesus Christ. And there's so much wisdom in her four words. Just give me Jesus. And if we do that as parents, as parishes, as catechists, as scout leaders, um, there's a power, despite our frail presentation despite our lack of uh, tons of theology and everything else. You can have people who can talk a great game, but there's no power in it. There's no power to transform lives, and lives have to be transformed to survive through the cultural assault of the 21st century. Now, I say Anne Graham Lott's title, Just Give Me Jesus, has so much wisdom, but she stops there. We don't want to put a period there because my point today is that there isn't just one big rock that needs to go in the jar before all the nice, wonderful secondary rocks and all the pebbles, but there are two primary rocks that need to go into that jar, and that second rock is also found in Luke 24. If we read down the chapter, He was about to go on, and basically he said, no, no, stay with us. And in Luke 24, verse 30, he says, while he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. In other words, that great Bible study, they said, didn't our hearts burn with us while he talked with us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? In other words, the scriptures were doing their work. They had good, godly heartburn. He was reaching them, but, but it still didn't quite click until the second rock. And, you know, I read commentaries before I go through a scripture, both Protestants, particularly evangelicals, and Catholic commentators, and Anglican. And the Protestant, as well as the Catholic interpreters, all say when it says he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them, uh, this is a very, very thinly veiled reference to the Eucharist. For those who are half awake, seeing what Jesus did with the two disciples walking down the Emmaus Road, 
after the scriptures were proclaimed with power, after the focus was placed on Jesus, all things in scripture concerning me, the heart is warmed, and now the Eucharist. And this was basically prefiguring it. And when he did that, he took the bread, blessed and broke it. Their eyes were opened. And this is how it all comes together. This is how a person's life is changed at the core. And again, for the 52nd or 53rd time, change at the core is what's needed for spiritual survival and thriving in a 21st century. And this is what happens when you have a Eucharistic focus on Jesus coupled with a scripture focus on Jesus. Dr. N.T. Wright proclaimed by either Time or Newsweek, they said the world's best uh, scripture interpreter in the modern world, he said this, take scripture away and the sacrament becomes a piece of magic. Take sacrament away and the scripture becomes an intellectual or emotional exercise detached from real life. Put them together and you have the center of Christian living, the center of Christian living, the big rock of Christian living as Luke understood it. This is, this is the gospel of Luke, and not just Luke, but John, Mark, Matthew. It's the focus on Jesus. Old Testament, Moses, the first five books of the Bible, all the prophets, the focus is on Jesus. Now, this might sound a bit strange, but we just need to be careful how we teach children. And, and this might sound heretical, but just stay with me for a moment. The focus on the Eucharist isn't the Eucharist as a concept. The reason we focus on the Eucharist because the Eucharist becomes for us really and truly Jesus. And sometimes, and I know people aren't going to like this, but trying to teach laity medieval scholastic philosophy uh, so they can know what the Eucharist is, kind of maybe kind of leaves them out in the cold. But what if we did like Jesus did in John 15, 14? The Eucharist is fellowship with Jesus. Or John 17, 21, the Eucharist is union with Jesus. Or as John does again in chapter 15 and verse 5, the Eucharist is Jesus living in me, really and truly. You see, uh, Jesus is the key. Um, I'm looking at an icon of Simeon, and he was an Orthodox church. He's called the New Theologian. You might say, well, where did he do his PhD? He probably said the Jesus prayer 100,000 times. That's it. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. The Jesus prayer, focusing on Jesus, transformed him into a saint and a new theologian. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 274 of Faith and Family. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org.